Hi guys, welcome to the Advanced Refrigeration Training Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Compass, along with my partner, Brett Wetzel. Today's episode is sponsored by Westermeyer Industries, the leaders in oil management and presser vessels for the commercial refrigeration industry. Whether you're involved with designing a system or tasked with servicing one, Westermeyer Industries has been helping meet the needs of customers like you for the past 20 years. They offer a broad catalog of stock system components with an in-house team of engineers to assist with custom solutions as well. From oil separators and heat exchangers to system monitoring devices, Westermeyer Industries are a total system specialist with industry expertise, engineering know-how, and the manufacturing muscle to help you tackle problems and deliver solutions. Right about you. You're a bloody psychopath. High-functioning sociopath with your number. All right, guys. Uh, welcome and good evening. Uh, you're here with Advanced Refrigeration Podcast. Uh, we're with your the host, Brett Wetzel, uh, Kevin Compass, and we have a special guest of Adam Chapman from Westermeyer Industries. Thanks for having me, guys. Not a problem. Anytime. So uh, we're going to go over some things. Uh, you know, uh, first things first, uh, we're going to show you guys how to uh, size the separator. Um, We've come across a couple different instances where we've had issues with uh, separators being oversized due to, you know, usually under over remodels, they end up taking some load off and putting on a different rack or, you know, they just change you know, how many BTUs they're actually adding onto the rack. Um, so Adam's going to go through and actually show you guys how to, uh, how to size a separator up using the uh, application on Westermeyer's uh, website. Appreciate it. So, um, what I'm going to do first is I'm going to go through and I'm going to put in a, um, on this calculator on our website and you can do the same thing. We have a quick select app that's, um, both for iOS and Android now. Um, so first thing is if you want to, um, as uh, Brett and I know Kevin's mentioned several times, um, if you want to help cover yourself on the lower end range of a centrifugal separator, um, whereas you want to try to protect yourself on the um, during low load conditions during the winter months, um, you know, part of what we've done is we've developed a rule of thumb that you can operate the centrifugal separators or the helical style, if that, you know, that's the terminology um, that you use. And uh, you can operate those um, in a sense where you're going to generate a little bit of pressure drop on the uh, fully loaded conditions, which is we all know is very minimal. Um, but what you do is you cover yourself, like I said, on the um, on the winter months and the low load conditions. So when you go to our website, you can go to calculators here and then oil separator, <clears throat> excuse me, and uh, accumulator sizing. So first you want to do the supermarket application. And, you know, it tells you here kind of what that looks like and or what this means for supermarket applications where unloading occurs often. Um, and what we'll do is we'll go through and we'll select. So let's say uh, 448A. And for su su number of suction groups, so this is talking about your um, your the number of evaporating uh, suction temperature groups that you're going to have. So we'll do a, a single suction group to make it simple. Um, condensing temperature will do 100 degrees. And uh, for your evaporating temperature, and like um, Brett and Kevin mentioned in their terminology podcast, you know your evaporating temperatures or your saturated suction temperature, your SST, uh, this is where we're going to put this here. So we'll do a minus 20. And um, we'll do 250,000 BTUs. Now, again, we'll, you'll have to be able to get that um, schedule off of your rack to ensure that you're getting the proper BTU load and not just looking at, a, at what the compressor is capable of running. You're going to want to look at your compressor capacity and your evaporators um, to ensure you're putting in the right numbers here. <clears throat> but, Adam, I, Adam, I have a quick ahead. question for you. Sure. So yeah. 
So if you, um, let's just say your load is 250,000 BTUs, would you pad that at all to, to accommodate for the compressor being able to do, you know, let's just say the compressor is uh, able to do 300,000 BTUs. Would you pad that a little bit to make sure that, you know, you have availability there? Um, I think that if you uh, anticipate that maybe you could have an expansion on um, on a system, if it's a developed store, I think you're you're going to run the risk of um, really increasing your pressure drop when you're looking at because we're talking about centrifugals for coalescing. You probably could pad that um, because you'll have a little um, uh, you know wider range of operating conditions that a coalescing can operate with. But a centrifugal, you just got to be careful um, padding that too much because you will generate a little higher pressure drop than maybe what you intended. Um, but run it, run it at 250, run it at 300. Cause what we're going to do is we're going to show you here, the disc, the calculated discharge CFM, because with those conditions, we're getting the mass flow calculation here and your discharge CFM, or as we call it DCFM for, to, for simplicity, this is what your separator, um, or what the system is running at those conditions. And then if you look here, these are the types of separators, um, that you can use, uh, within that range. So if you look at this, um, so this is a um, high-pressure oil system uh, centrifugal separator with the reservoir built into it. And this is um, an OS6-15 RES. RES is reservoir. Um, 15 is inch and five-eighths. Six is the diameter, and OS is oil separator. So if you look at that, um, that's an inch and five-eighths oil separator. That likely would have been pro um, probably um, an inch and an eighth. Uh, I'm sorry two and an eighth separator, whereas this one's dropping it down to inch and five. So um, again, there's a multitude of separators. There's other centrifugals. If you got a, lo a, a low pressure and oil management system, um, this model here that's got the float on the bottom. So so these are kind of some of the things that, uh, that are calculator displays and also our app displays. Um, and then you can scroll down here and then there's um, a couple coalescing models. Um, and then you also have the options for accumulators as well. Because what we do also with those numbers, we also calculate um, the suction CFM, um, which is uh, listed here. So there's a handful of models, um, and I'll just run through them real quick. Um, the A10, so accumulators A, 10 is diameter, 25 is connection. So 10 with 3 and an eighth, 12 with 3 and an eighth, 14 with 4 and an eighth. And so accumulators have a lot more um, wiggle room on the connection size that you can operate with. It really has to do with the, um, with the holding capacity that you have desirable there. So... Um, so really, again, what we try to encourage people to do when they're sizing these is one, understand your system. Um, you know, we all understand that coalescing provides a much um, wider range of operating conditions. Um, it also keeps your system clean. Um, and but there's costs associated with that. You have to go in and change the filter periodically if you have a dirty system. And um, and another big thing that you're going to have to monitor is your pressure drop. <clears throat> You know, when when we're we're looking at pressure drop associated with um, a coalescing separator, it's going to be much higher than a centrifugal, even if you are, are undersizing it a bit. Um, and um, you can have uh, filter failures if you're not careful, um, especially, again, if it's a dirty system. Centrifugals are pretty um, low maintenance. Uh, there's nothing to fail. It's just um, you can get some debris if it's a low pressure oil system. You can get debris that clogs up the filter like um, Brett and Kevin mentioned in their uh, last podcast and how to um, service those. Uh, but the really the reality is the, the coalescing does feel like a, uh, a good um, safety blanket. But a centrifugals, as long as they're sized properly, are good up to 99 um, percent effective. Um, you know, I think I think another thing that we also should probably bring up um, in this is. Um, you know, when you're, when you're monitoring oil and you're, you're trying to identify, you know, I'm I'm tripping on oil. Some of the things that we talk about, and again, um, I'm going to kind of sound like a broken record because, um, Kevin and Brett have already touched on a lot of this stuff over the course of, um, the handful of uh, podcasts that they've done. But some of the things that we're going to talk about, if you call us and, um, say, listen, I've got, I'm tripping on oil, I'm having some issues, um, a couple of things. So, First thing we're going to say we're going to say is give us the conditions and we're going to size it, make sure it's sized properly. Um, another thing we're going to do is does this happen during part load or fully loaded conditions? Um, what does the oil return line feel like? Um, and I know Kevin mentioned this before. So um, hot, you tend to that tend to indicate that the um, you could have discharge gas blowing through that oil return line. 
Um, cold means that you probably don't have much oil or if any oil passing through that oil return line. So, um, so definitely keep that in mind. And then warm is really, as long as you can hold your hand on it and it's not, you know, hard to hold your hand on the oil return line and you've got a decent amount of oil, um, through there. It surprises me that there's systems out there that don't have oil return side glasses, but those happen. So that's a good rule of thumb. Um, some of the other questions we're going to ask is, uh, do you see oil return come back after defrost? What that does, what that tells us is um, your separator is not separating and it is going out throughout the system. Um, and when you go through a defrost cycle and that oil return, that oil does come back. That is an indicator. And typically with um, that happens during uh, or when you're using centrifugal separators. So uh, those are some of the things that we're going to ask about. Um, those are some of the things that I think our engineering team and myself are going to um, check with everybody. And uh, sometimes you need to give us a call back. And I, I just encourage you to utilize us if you do uh, need some troubleshooting tips for that. Now, you said before about uh, putting in one suction group. Um, I'm assuming that it's going to change the discharge CFM when we do that, right? So if we have a split header and we go, we have one that's negative 20 and we have one that's, you know, plus 16 or plus 13 or whatever. What's that really going to do to the size of the separator at that point? Um, well, it, you know, I think it, what, what I can do is I can run through a selection here real quick, but inherently, I mean, you're, you're going to see, um, depending on the size of the, you know, the BTU loads that you're putting in here. So, um, you know, to do like a minus 20 and like, um, like a plus 20, is that, that feel, um, feel good to you guys. Uh, and you know, I'll do like 75,000 for this. So you can look here. So we, we actually list, you know, here's your, uh, here's your suction one and two. Here's your, uh, total, which was about 325,000 BTUs, which is not far off of what we just did on the other one. It's really not going to change your discharge CFM, um, that drastically. Because uh, we were running, you know, plus 20 on one um, where we got two suction groups and it really lands on the same uh, model. Uh, now, granted, we didn't do in this particular case, uh, we didn't do the supermarket application. So it's um, but I because it's on the line uh, that probably would have still landed on that inch and five um, oil separator. So it just kind of depends on how big each section group is to determine how that's going to really affect your uh, the size of the separator. Now, Adam, can you go over exactly what discharge CFM is and kind of like a brief thing on how to calculate it? Sure. So, um, and in fact, what I can do, um, if you look at, we've got a, a tool here on our website, it's just discharge CFM um, chart. And this is just going to kind of go through how to, but basically discharge CFM is the mass flow that we're calculating based on your um, your conditions that you're providing to us. And we come up with a, um, a number that uh, based on that refrigerant and each refrigerant has got its own um, mass flow properties. So if you look here, um, you know, to find this, uh, you basically take the appropriate evaporating condensing temperatures and you multiply the value by the system tonnage um, at those operating conditions. Use this value to select the oil separator nearest to the maximum DCFM range. And so we go through here and you've got R134A at a 20 ton system at a plus 20 um, saturated suction temperature at a 110 degree saturated condensing temperature. This is your, um, it comes out to 1.02 DCFM, but you need to calculate your total DCFM for, um, for that. So then you need to take that times the tonnage rating, which comes out to uh, 20.40. So you can kind of go through, we have charts for a handful of refrigerants. Um, it really needs to be um, scrubbed and added, but again, that's what the calculator is for to help, help um, with that, to do that kind of on the fly, which on our um, uh, quick select calculator on our uh, app, you actually, there's a whole refrigerant slide rule. So if you're, um, if you're uh, in a rack room and you're trying to come up with um, conditions and you're trying to, you know, brainstorm a little bit, there is uh, that slide rule as well to help with that. Is there also one for uh, suction CFM too, or is it only discharge CFM? It's, it, it literally, I mean, so you mean for this, um, this sizing chart that we have here? Yeah. 
Yeah. So there's just one for the discharge, but this principle is, is relatively the same. Um, but, uh, really you just need to be able to come up with, uh, your conditions and you can back into your section CFM. But again, I, what I would recommend doing, um, is just allowing the calculators to do it for you. Um, that way you, uh, you feel confident in that. One thing I was wondering if you could go through and elaborate on is basically, uh, you know, we, we've touched on it a little bit, uh, basically, you know, the, the amount of separation that a centrifugal will actually do uh, when you when when you're not putting through the full CFM. So, like if you're doing 75% of what the rated CFM, and how you know, how efficient is that oil separator, a centrifugal one at that point? So we rate we rate the centrifugal separators down to 30% of the maximum um, rating on that we list for that separator. Now again, um, that number shifts if you're trying to apply it at a um, supermarket type application where you're oversizing it. Um, but inherently we, tr we don't want to drop any, um, further below 30%, um, of the max rating, um, or your, your efficiencies are going to drop. Uh, but as long as it's within that range, we anticipate that that separator is going to be 99% effective. I had an instance, uh, and I called you about this where basically, um, I think I was, the, the the full CFM, the discharge CFM of that separator, I believe, was rated for 33 CFM. And with having the one compressor on and the one digital on, I think I was doing nine CF nine discharge CFM. And right. it wasn't it wasn't separating anything, you know. And right. like I said before, the way I proved that was basically shut off the rack, basically pump down the rack for a little bit, uh, let you know, let all the cases warm up and then turn everything on and then with all the compressors on, then basically I was separating oil before right. I wasn't even doing that before. Right. Right. So I think that, um, there's, as you guys have mentioned, there's a multitude of scenarios where, um, where you create problems with centrifugal separators, um, and even coalescing for that matter, you know, coalescing isn't, um, you know, flawless in that sense, but, uh, one thing that you guys touched on the um, last podcast that I think is so important is talking about the um, your oil regulators or your oil pots, however, whatever term everybody wants to use in that sense. But, um, you know, with these adjustables, it, set them and don't touch them. If you got oil management problems, start at the separator, watch your oil return line, and then work your way from there. Because if oil is leaving that separator, it's not the separator's fault. Um, and I hear all the time where guys will call me and say, you know, I'm tripping on a low oil. I'm like, all right, well, how much do you have any oil in the reservoir? Well, yeah, I've got, I've got two glasses. I'm like, yeah, we're, we're not there. That oil is going through the discharge line, getting separated and going back and it's getting stored in the reservoir. So we've got another problem and that, um, you know, the vent valve, um, analysis. And I thought that that was excellent. I, you know, I, if anybody missed that um, and that um, whole process that you guys um, determined how to verify whether it was a problem or not is I've never heard that before. And I found that very informative on how you guys work through to ensure you knew whether or not that vent valve needed to be changed or not. Yeah. I mean, it, it works out pretty good. Um, yeah. I, I tend to agree. Guys start messing with floats. It just ends up messing up everything. Like we said before, you know, there's certain compressors that, you know, they're a little bit more susceptible to a high oil level. And then you have, you know, compressors like Bitzer's and, and Carlisle where anything more than, than what their max is and you'll end up, you know, majorly damaging valves and, and pistons and, and everything else with them. So it, it's very crucial that we have a proper oil level in, in, in all of our compressors to make sure that we don't have any damage. Right. You know, and I think another thing that, uh, you know, we're talking about, determining um coalescing and where the benefits are and one thing i also want to bring up is um you know i there's a differential pressure monitor that um we're launching and i know some of us have to go in and fight stores because we're under a um service contract and it's ours and it's our baby and we're we're stuck with it or um, you know, we've got these where a guy, you get called in and the previous guy was just throwing wrenches at stuff and, you know, bre breaking, breaking things off. 
And what I want to what I want to mention is this is this is the benefit of monitoring pressure drop, and it's not about um, really energy consumption. You know, that's a big deal, um, but that's not that's not the big that's not the fight that you guys um, really have to carry. And you can prove tell me if I'm wrong. But the big thing is is um, knowing when that filter needs to be changed. You know, and I find that um, there's a lot of coalescing filters that are dropped in and never seen again until you, until there's a massive failure and then you've got a really big mess on your hands. So, um, so I, I just encourage everybody to consider this and whether it's, whether it's the new one or the existing one. And I, I have my opinions and I, Kevin, I know you have your opinions about the, um, the existing differential pressure monitor. And let's face it, we see that all the time where people talk about how they've never actually seen it in alarm mode. Um, but, the importance of this is to know what's going on in the separator that fil that filter should be designed to seal and then that differential pressure monitor should be designed to tell you what's going on in the separator so then you know when that filter needs to be changed so it's not at two o'clock in the morning um and you could have done that maybe on a thursday uh at noon when you were in there and you could have headed off that problem well in advance or or your buddy that is on call didn't just get completely blasted by a problem that could have been prevented. So I think preventative maintenance and on a multitude of products on the oil um, management system is, uh, you know, a very important piece of that. And I encourage everybody to consider that whenever they're looking at some of these jobs. No, I mean, I, I put that Delta P in that you sent me, or I'm not exactly sure where you guys, or is that what you guys are calling it? Is yep. It it's a it's called the rdp refer shield and that's the differential pressure monitor yep i mean that thing worked great it was easy to set up i mean took no time at all i mean it worked great and I, i've done the same with two transistors before but you get the drift and it never reads properly and it's a lot more difficult to set up than the rdp i mean it, it, it did work good Good. I mean, it should be it should be on every separator. I mean, I like it a lot better than the old style, that's for sure. Well, the big thing is, is it provides a, a constant output voltage as opposed to the current one where it's just basically it's um, you're not getting an alarm unless you're at um, over 12 PSI differential. So this is going to allow you to even, you know, plot it out on a um, sit on an E2 or a Danfoss controller where you're going to be able to see, you know, um, you were let's say you were trending at at 10 or 11 pressure psi differential and then all of a sudden it's dropped now down to two and nothing and you haven't done anything with the separator well you may have just had a failure whether it's an o-ring or a gasket or a complete you know filter you just threw um you know reed valves through it and now you got to change it so there before that gives you some diagnostics without even having to open up the separator what would you say, uh, we were talking about this um, on one of the last podcasts, but as far as your experience, what's the differential that you typically see on a brand new coalescing oil separator? Um, you, know, you talk about some compressors that tend to throw a lot of oil. Um, you know, we anticipate that you should see anywhere from maybe one to two PSI differential on, on startup for clean. Um, and, you know, my recommendation is um, anywhere from 10 uh, you know, I'd say probably nine to 10 PSI, I'd get that thing changed or you're going to end up with a problem. Uh, did you, uh, we didn't go over the supermarket application with undersizing them yet. Yeah, that was the first one we just did. Yep. So, oh, okay. so we undersized the separator, um, and that would have been a two and an eighth, um, separator. But what we can do if some, if some people just now join, uh, we can go through it here again. So, um, oil separator um, sizing calculator on our website. You can just click this button here. Um, so if you're wanting to undersize the separator for um, for to cover yourself on low low conditions, if you go to click that yes button, and um, we're going to go with uh, R22, and uh, we'll do number of suction groups one. We'll do um, 100 degree condensing or saturated sa condensing temperature. Your evaporating temperature uh, will do a uh, plus 20 and 350,000 BTUs. We submit this. 
this is this says it's an OS six dash twenty one. So this is a two and an eighth um, oil separator, um, and that likely would have been a two and five eighths um, based on what I'm seeing here on our uh, on our selection. So this is what this is doing. It's allowing now it's not always going to undersize and force a separator smaller than what um, if you would have said no here. It's not always going to do that. It's because what's going to happen is it's trying to pick the um, most optimal size. So if it's on a line um, on that threshold, it's going to select the size lower. Um, but if it's if it's in between that range, it's not going to force something small to where you're going to have a massive uh, pressure drop calculation. Now, Adam, what, what, what would you say would be like a max pressure drop like you would advise? Like if you were seeing like a, a drop on there, like what what to you is excessive? Yeah, well, um, I guess um, I probably I wouldn't want to see any more than, I don't know, 10 PSI probably. And uh, but again, that's that's dependent on how often you see your compressor, you know, the number of compressors you're going to have running um, at any given time, because you're you're probably going to size this thing for, um, you know, let's say it's got five compressors. You're going to size it for five because you're going to end up having a problem if you don't. Um, but, you know, max on normal situations, I wouldn't probably want to see anything more than 10 PSI on there. But it's really it's really energy energy consumption is you're really not going to see um, as long as it's sized within the the confines of what we what we offer. Um, you know, you're not going to see any premature failures. It's really just going to be massive, um, you know, higher pressure drops across that. Yeah, I mean, I've seen where we've done glass door conversions and. Uh... I mean, these were manufacturer size separators, but like they went from two and it went from a two and an eight discharge header yep. with four compressors down to five eights. Yep. Yep. Exactly. I've seen them stair stepped to the point where it's like the amount of yeah. reducers in those lines is uh, makes you want to vomit. Um, yeah. It's, it's a Christmas there. tree from five eights to uh, <laughs> two and an yeah. eight. I mean, exactly. it blows up the two and five. Yep. <laughs> it, it's, exactly. It, you, you first see it and it, lo it looks insane. But I mean, right. it works like extreme. Yep. I mean, it was at a point where we were taking like, I think I took like six gallons of oil out of the rack. Yep. Yep. Well, and I guess that brings up a good point and something that I think also needs to be mentioned. So let's say that you got a, an application where you're, you're, uh, let's, let's say that you adopt it. Let's say it's been a problem for somebody else and you tend to adopt this uh, problem child and you walk in and, that you got you got all these problems and you finally get it all worked out and let's say it's got a coalescing on it um the guy before you likely was dumping gallon after gallon of oil inside that system well once you get everything set properly and you get all that oil out of your evaporator you got to be very careful to watch your pressure drop um on your coalescing filter because those filters will become oil logged and it's going to catch that oil once you get it out of those out of the system. And um, a lot of times, and I think this was actually posted on the uh, Facebook group, a guy had um, a situation where they, they, I think he pulled maybe eight gallons out of the system, additional gallons, we'll say, um, out of the system. And he had a filter that literally ripped through the seams um, of the uh, element itself because it just was a massive amount of um, oil that was getting pumped in through that filter. So that's something else that you just, you know, to put in perspective about uh, pressure drop monitoring on a coalescing. Yeah, it catches oil, but it's going to catch a lot of oil if you had a guy that was dumping oil in there, um, you know, constantly. Adam, can you, since we're on the, the top of the coalescence, I mean, can you go over uh, your guys' filters? and uh the replacements for the temp rights sure you know, I know a lot of guys don't know about that and i mean they've worked out pretty good sure yeah um and i uh so basically what we did was you know our filters are um a borosilicate glass so basically like a fiberglass media on the inside of a wrap and um and what we did is we designed filters uh that were very robust and um, and let's face it, we've all had our heartburn with gaskets. So what we did here recently is we um, we took a our gaskets are slip fit, so there's no adhesive holding the gasket in place, and it actually slips on the inside of the filter. Um, and 
so we have a wide range of filters that now are going to have a slip fit gasket that there's no way that that um, filter, that gasket is going to blow out like an O-ring or even a gasket that's got adhesive on it. So that that's good. It's not going to blow out and you're not going to end up with failures due to just an O-ring blowout. But that's why once it's torque, it's going to stay there until that um, filter goes. So another reason why you got to make sure you monitor the um, the uh, pressure drop across that. And I know guys are going to say, well, I'd much rather have an O-ring blowout and a little bit of and a uh, oil um, low-level alarm than have a glass filter uh, media blown out through the separator. And I can't I can't dispute that. But that's why we're offering this new the new differential monitors because. The filter should be designed to seal regardless and that you have to have an ability to know when that filter needs to be changed. And so because, and we, so I say all that to say people came to us and said, we're tired of O-rings on um, the maroon filters. And uh, <laughs> so we're just, we're tired of this. We're tired of it. We need you guys to come out with a, a model uh, or a series of these. So we did. And so it's it's across the line on all the temporite ones. We're working on um, some CO2 ones as well. But I think the big thing is, uh, you know, these things fit and you're not going to have the gasket. And, uh, you know, I think a lot of people have been happy with them. Uh, but the big thing is, is you can't just drop them in and forget about them um, because I think you're going to end up with a, uh, a problem, especially, again, you're blowing out O-rings and, and the guy didn't know that that really was the problem. It was adding oil and now your, your filter is going to seal. It's going to catch those, that oil. So I think that that's, uh, it has worked out really well and it's offered some, uh, good solutions for, um, customers like yourself. Now you, you mentioned the Delta P monitor, uh, that, that one does work for CO2. Just as about well as every one of the racks. We ended up taking at least two gallons of oil out. Some, some of them four to five gallons of oil because they kept blowing out filters. I mean, they had other issues too with cycling, but after we stabilized all that, I mean, when we put those those new filters in, I mean, a lot of, we didn't blow a single O-ring after that. And we had no problems with the O-rings blowing out. I mean, Good. they blow out on startup at, 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 with the with the temp rights all the time, you know, especially if there are power outage and everything comes on, if the, if timers aren't set right and everything comes on, the, the O-rings pretty much guaranteed to blow. Well, that's that that does happen. Um, I mean, I don't know how many guys will um, call me and say, listen, I, I get all this pulsation and you get all these things where you and, and that's the problem is, that, you know, you're you're uh, you know, you're running, uh, you know, maybe two compressors and then all of a sudden you get three or four that start kicking on and you get that bur that really um, slug of mass flow that comes through that and it'll want to pop those O-rings out. Kevin, maybe you know this. Uh, someone was asking, uh, how is the price comparison for the Temprite filter replacement? They they were cheaper. Every 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 model was anywhere from fifteen to thirty dollars cheaper, depending on. I mean, we bought them in a mass quantity for PMs. I mean, so they were. Uh, I mean, we probably got a little bit better price, but they were they were way cheaper. I mean, we had. All the O-rings were fine. We had no problems with the O-ring fit, fitment on them. I mean, they were pretty much exact fitment filters. And do you know the do you know like the design quality? Like what if? Except I know I reached out to these before. I don't remember if we ever mm -hmm. got. What I ever. Uh, I don't remember what you, you told me. What is the design like? The uh, micron rating compared to like a temperate? What it's going to actually filter out in compared to Westermeyer? It's the same micron rating. And I think, that, you know, the difference between the construction um, and, and what I can do is here, I can literally just pull this up while we're while we're chatting about it because um, we list we listed here. Um, but uh, but the big thing is, is um, if I'm going to go to bear with me one second here. That's. But I mean, the, the micron rating is down to, I think, of. Um, three micron yeah 0.3 micron oil mist particulates um and you know the the big thing i think that everybody also needs to understand is um there's a relationship relationship between pressure drop and efficiency and that's a fine line 
And, you know, ours is like a, a fiberglass, like I said. And uh, I think the Temperite models tend to be a little more like a pleated paper, um, which are good for uh, capturing uh, particulates, but um, can also be kind of a problem uh, surrounding uh, uh, pressure drop and blowouts. So it's a, it's a fine line. Now, do you guys offer a cleanup filter like Temprite does or so, no? So, um, so we don't. And the reason why is uh, we offer, and I'm, I'm actually going to just find the, the filter sheet here while we're all chatting about it. So this is, um, this is the spec sheet here um, that details, and you can pull it up on our website, and it'll have all the models listed here with the crossovers. Um, but, uh, we don't offer the cleanup. And the reason why is one, we have a gasket. So really the, if you look at the difference between a, a Tempright model where it has the O-ring, um, and on a cleanup and a standard filter, you're going to see they have a little mo more of a recessed area on the inside of that filter. Um, and, uh, that's just to help ensure, to help protect that O-ring from blowing out during high differentials. Again, with our gasket, we don't need that. And, um, and really with our robust, we've got a really, um, thick material that we wrap on the outside, which is what we call our drain layer and, and containment layer. Um, and, uh, so that's going to help hold up against high differentials as well. So, um, in reality, we really don't see the need for the cleanup filters, um, which is why we just offer the standard filter, which is going to help reduce the number of filters, in my opinion, that you're going to have to carry. Now, are any of those Temprite filters, and they any of them cross over to the Westermeyers? Nope. Somebody just asked me that. Nope. Nope. And they shouldn't even want to know that. Why would they want to know that? That's the that is bad mojo. <laughs> no, I mean like I'm like kidding. the actual like the actual Westermeyer replacements for the Temprites. I mean, will those fit in any uh, Westermeyer separators too? Or oh is yeah, it just yeah. I see what you're saying. Just fit in the Temprites. Nope. So there is. There's two models here. So we carry two series that we also use in our separators that also is used in the Temprites, if you see here in this in this category right here. So the 90050 and 51 um, are part of that. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, you want to go over your floats real quick? What, what we got you on here too? I mean, yeah, yeah. Uh, you guys' floats have a little bit, uh, some different stuff on them too. Yeah, yeah. yep. So, um, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna quickly uh, blow past that image because that one's. This is not how the new how the current the new float looks. This is the um, current how the current float looks. So what we've done is, you know, if you look at like an ACNR um, float, it's got a you know it looks like the old ones like our old ones where it's got the return the bend comes up comes down and then your your float. Um, sits on the lever. Well, what we, what we did was we got, um, we took out all that linkage and all that bend, which is all tolerance buildup. And that's all areas that, you know, if you look at that bend, if that bend, and I know you guys, you know, do this where you pull it out, you're not getting oil return, and you'll take that and you'll bend that, um, that copper piece back, or you'll bend that float up just to get you a little extra room to, so it's not hitting on the inside of that um, shell. Well, what we've done was is we, we took all that linkage out and made it a straight piece, and we um, got the float up on that arm, and uh, we added a magnet um, on it just to help try to protect a little bit of debris um, from entering into that, uh, that orifice. Um, it's more of a, uh, it was more of a wish list from a couple com uh, customers to add that. It really, I questioned some of the validity on it, but it, you know, if a little bit helps, then, then it's worth it. Um, and, uh, if you see here, we did flow testing across, um, uh, the old design, uh, which is very similar to the, the ACNR and this new design. And we flow, uh, up to 20% more oil uh, with that, uh, with the new float. Yeah. I noticed on the new floats, when you change them out, if you have an oil side glass, it's, it's a lot less foamy and bubbly when it is feeding, it's more of like a solid flow. It looks like a like a liquid line side glass with with, with that's kind of like low on refrigerant. It, it has a lot better flow look to it. Like so, it you could tell it is flowing better and it's not restricting it as much. 
and it's not getting like that foamy type of oil like you get from like an ACNR. Well, and so so to put that in perspective, that so that um, so if you guys have, because I know I know that there's tons of guys that have the 1900 the 1930s um, on their trucks. This float can is cross compatible. So you can put this in um, an ACNR separator. It's got the same bolt hole pattern. Um, and I will tell you that um, we've got some that will also fit into maroon ones here coming up soon. Same design, same design as, as this one right here, just being able to go into the, the maroon one, guys? Correct. Beautiful. <laughs> Might as well repaint, repaint at the time, too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, Adam, do you guys, I, I never really looked, do you guys actually make oil floats, like actual compressor pots? We do. So that's a brand new product that's coming out. Um, and uh, we don't even have it on the website yet. Um, but a couple of things that I want to touch base and what I'll do is I'll, um, I'll go ahead and stop sharing this so everybody doesn't have to see me kind of clicking around here. Um, but uh, let me see if I can figure this out here. So I'm going to stop screen share. So, uh, so the new regulator floats that we're going to have are the oil pots. Um, we've waited a long time. We do build a fixed level and we, we do make a few. Um, but, uh, everybody asks us for the adjustable. Trust me. I would like to just completely wipe out an adjustable regulator and have them never exist again for, for one main reason is that they tend to be the culprit of all tech calls that we tend to get blamed. It's like, listen, the separator's not working and, uh, you gotta, you gotta fly out here and fix this problem. And so what happens is, is the adjustable regulator tends to be the biggest problem with that. So, um, but reluctantly we've, we've, so Westermeyer has been, um, in business. This will actually be, uh, 20 years, uh, this year. And, uh, we've reluctantly spent a lot of time, I'd say probably 10 years working on a design that removes all the linkage and removes all you know, a lot of the fail points on an adjustable regulator and we call our unibody design. And so that, um, that adjustable mechanism in there, there's, it's all one piece. Now there's not any of this screw through and pins and all this. We've, we designed all into one piece and the adjustment mechanism is actually on the top of the stem. So it's a 90 degree. Um, and, but what we do is we offer a rotolock valve that's bi-directional. So it's a front seating or back seating rotolock valve, and you can swivel that um, 360 degrees. So if you're doing a retrofit and you need to be able to find, um, you know, a uh, point at which that you can make a connection, you can swivel that valve all the way around to help for install. <clears throat> and again, now the mechanism for adjustment is all on top. It's not on the side next to the um, next to the actual stem itself. So, um, because, you know, as we all know, those are in really tight areas. And so if you got to try to get in and adjust that, we're also going to get rid of that, uh, the screwdriver, um, portion, cause everybody just really just, they, they round those off and, or they over adjust them and they take, they come out and, the, or they over adjust and the C clip pops out. So all those things we're, addre we're addressing. So those types of things can't happen. You know, I never really thought about like all the people that must call you guys for for oil issues. I just, you know, I've, I don't know. I don't think I've ever I've ever called a, a you know Westmeyer or anything unless I had like a, you know a sizing issue for something. But like, I wouldn't think anyone would actually call you guys. I got an oil pot that I don't think's feeding. I I just I, I'm sorry. I I never seen that. Yeah. Well, because what happens is is like, listen, I'm tripping on low oil. I've got oil sitting in these side glasses on these oil pots. It's got to be the separator. Um, you got to fly out here and start coming up with solutions. And so, the, so what happens, you know, again, oil gets lost out in the system. Then you end up with this problem. It's like, listen, that separator's failing. And we even get it with, with coalescing. We had a really bad situation where, um, where coalescing separator, on, I mean, it's big. I mean, it's three and an eighth coalescing separator and um on a brand new store and 
we ended up with a situation. Uh, we were out there for a couple days. Uh, Gary Westmeyer actually went out there and was troubleshooting it and come to find out. Um, you know, we, we kind of, we anticipated that it, it ended up, it appeared that the discharge temperatures may have been way too high and it was vaporizing the oil. I mean, that's where we were getting at to the point. And it come to find out that the installing contractor like mixed his own oil. It wasn't even like the author. They finally did an oil test and they were mixing. They were like three parts, different oil composition. And it was, <laughs> and it wasn't the viscosity wasn't flowing through the system. So it was, uh, it got to be, um, really a, kind of a big mess, but we finally got through that one. So yeah, you'd be surprised on the stuff that we get, um, wrangled up with. That's amazing. Wow. Well, if, uh, do you have um, any new uh, new products in the works? Um, well, I mean, there's a lot of top secret stuff that I'd have to kill you if I told you. Um, but uh, the big thing is, is um, you know, the the oil regulators are a big one. Uh, we're making a big push on um, on the inline oil filters. Um, Kevin mentioned those um, on the last podcast. Uh, one thing I do want to point out on that is be very careful on your, like your OF three Oh threes where it's got that bypass. Um, Kevin, I think you said that you try to do, you try to not have the bypass, which I commend you for, because let's face it, if you're offering a bypass, then what, why are you even putting a filter in? Um, <laughs> but, uh, because also pressure drop and the location of a filter, you know, one thing that I want to mention to everybody is, and this is going to, this is taking a lot of education at the rack level, because let's face it, you guys are just, it shows up this way, but we always recommend the oil filter to be, um, between the, uh, separator and the reservoir, but that's not how most of them are done. And then the big thing is, is pressure drop. So when you start getting a, fil a dirty filter, what's going to happen to on low pressure systems, what's going to happen with that pressure drop in relation to your, your, uh, your, uh, to, in relation to suction, you can cause an, you can cause you start causing some issues uh, with oil return if you're if you're causing if your filter gets clogged, and then and then let's face it if you got a filter that's got a bypass then again you might as well just not even have it in there. Yeah, because you have a, what you have like a let's just say you have a five pound differential across it and it's in 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 line with the coming out of the separator you got discharge pressure coming out so that only drops at five pounds but if you have it on the outlet. Know, where it's going to be regulated down, then five pounds could be detrimental to the the possibility of feeding and not feeding. Correct. 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 Well, and here's the other thing: if if it is on the inlet to the reservoir from the separator, think about it. If if the float is full of oil and it's pushing pressure on on the uh, one side of the filter, you're always going to have a measurable pressure drop on it. If it's on yeah. the other side. If you have no oil floats calling for oil, you're going to have zero pressure drop. So a guy's going to go there and measure the pressure drop across the oil filter. Unless you have compressor floats calling for oil, you're not going to have a pressure drop. Right, right. So why so, do manufacturers put it on the outlet then? Because the gray company tells them to do so. Oh, gotcha. So so that's, that's an education that we're working on. Um, and one of which is just trying to get people to take the new one on. Um, you know, there's a lot, historically people just don't understand how challenging the, um, that, uh, the ROF 413 is to, to, uh, service when you got it, when you twist those, um, flare connections and that copper twist, and then you got leaks and then you got multiple connections cause you have the brass to that, um, to that, uh, aluminum cap. And then you got to pull that whole can away if that's if that's ultimately your choice, which is is probably the best solution is not try to unscrew the uh, um, the flares and actually just pull the can away. But then that can tend to be a bit messy if you're not careful. Well, you, you guys also make, make a make a can filter also, right? I, I, well, I don't know if it's out yet. I, I know you sent me yeah, one and is. I put it in. Yeah. It is. Yep, yeah, I mean, that, that one was that one was a lot easier because you could just pull the cap off the top. And yep, there was exactly. there was no no con no connection on it where you had to pull anything off. Well, and you actually, just, why don't I why don't I just pull that up here um, uh, while we're talking here? So, um, Brett, make sure you give me access to do that. Don't try to lock me out again. 
All right. Everybody see that? Yes, sir. All right. So um, if you look at these oil filters, this is this, um, the serviceable oil filters. So if you look, and we offer this both in Rotolock or uh, Sweat. So, I mean, for, for Sweat, if you just don't want the leaks, that's the benefit here. Rotolock, you have the ability to um, isolate it. But it can be mounted vertically like it's shown here, or it can be mounted horizontally like a dryer that's shown here. Um, but, you know, as uh, Kevin mentioned the other day, we've the connections are no longer in the flange. They're all in access here uh, on the shell. Um, and then you also have an access fitting here. Um, also, what you can do is uh, we've tapped this flange. So if you look at this foreland today, you have to compress um the filter then you have to run the bolts in and they've got the the square nuts on the bottom side run them in um get everything sealed up all the while those connections are um off the top here um again whereas this you could lay this on its side and uh and uh service everything horizontally like a dryer something i forgot to ask you you guys don't make a replacement for the gray company do you uh, you mean like an actual filter element itself? Yes. Yes. No, nope, we don't. Um, and, uh, really the intent is just, uh, we're trying to eliminate all these problems and we hate to, we hate to really kind of hitch on something that really just needs to be fixed, um, in the industry. So, and we were asked by several, um, several companies to get into it. And it's just now it's, we're just trying to get everybody kind of hooked up to it at this point. Um, really the, uh, the other thing we're doing, um, and I, uh, I literally just clicked off this and I didn't mean to, and I apologize for that. <laughs> um, the, uh, share screen, I'm going to, I'm going to sh share with everybody one more, uh, product here and what it is. It's a uh, liquid level gauge. And I think, you know, some people are starting to, um, to use it in the industry. Uh, but what this is, uh, this kind of competes with the four bolt, um, uh, level gauges that are out there that go on the side of the receivers. So your liquid level gauges. So, uh, the, the company that manufactures these is a company called Rochester gauge. So if you look here, um, and in fact, I'll, uh, I'll pull up another sheet here in a second, but, um, basically what you see is, so this, we offered in a OEM level, which is where we actually put an inch and three quarter rotolock connection on there. Uh, and, uh, we also offer in a four bolt retrofit kit as well. Um, this, uh, this is actually a sight glass. This electronic piece snaps onto a sight glass. So you'll get 50% level indication here. So you'll at least know, are you above 50% or below 50% to determine whether or not that level is actually accurate. Um, it provides an output voltage. You can tie back to your controller at a zero to five, um, range. And uh, it's got a digital um, readout a display. And, uh, you know, if the electronics ever fail, you can put, just pop that off the side glass, put a new one on without having to pump the system down. And, uh, and really the, the big thing that everybody really likes is that um, with this four bolt, this thing tends to leak. And actually in our market research, that is actually one of the highest leak points on a, on a supermarket rack. Uh, the amount of gaskets for just the four bolts alone that we sell are just astronomical. So what we do, what we did with this product line is with the retrofit kit, we developed a different gasket material. And we also uh, do a, an encapsulation key on the back of this uh, kind of looks like a record um, grooves. And we uh, holds that gasket in place and that gasket that's that we put in there. It's actually like a kind of like a teflon type gasket um because today it's used uh, neoprene and uh that tends to especially you know with uh retrofits and stuff they tend to leak over time so uh so that's a that's another new product we're trying to get out in the market as well now adam do you guys sell that gasket for the standard four bolts for like a you know uh rochester yep. so you guys sell that that different type of yep, gasket we do Really? Uh, do you, you have a Correct. Yep. partner around it? Yeah. Um, so you're, are you talking just the gasket that you can replace the on the Rochester, or do you want the new gasket? 
Like the new gasket, like the the one you guys are putting in that one. Oh, I see. Will work or no? Yeah. So you can It won't. It won't snap on the back side of that. Uh, uh, on the back side of the Rochester gauge, unfortunately. I've, I, it's funny. I've been asked that question a couple times. They're like, "Well, can I just get your new gasket?" But again, that's the other thing is with those four bolts is you have to torque them equally on all four corners to also get a good seal. Um, and uh, that's the benefit with ours too is that it's a rotolock connection. So there's no tightening of one side. It's basically just spin the nut on and, and torque it. Yeah, I, yeah, I, don't think, I don't think I've ever replaced like, you know, all the Hanson rods that we usually deal with usually have the, the rotolock fittings. And I, I can count on one hand how many times I've had to replace it versus like how many times we've had to replace that, that four bolt rubber gasket, whether it be, you know, poor installation or, you know, mm -hmm. not torque properly <laughs> or whatever. You know, pulsation, uh, whether it be, you know, hot gas, uh, you know, receiver pressurization valve, you know, feeding hot gas in there. Yep. Whatever might have caused it, you know. Exactly. And we have just a, so we have the electronic version, but we also have a dial set as well where it has just a needle and, and, a, uh, and a level showing on that. So it's, you don't have to have um, a full electronic model. You can also just add the uh, mechanical one as well. Do you get you guys make uh Hanson rod replacements also, right? <clears throat> yeah, we do. Yep, exactly. Yeah, so um, and we calibrate them, uh, they're factory calibrated to the refrigerant that you're um, that you uh, of your choosing, and all we need is the the length and the refrigerant, and whether you're not want a uh, a rotolock or NPT style uh, connection on the receiver, uh, and whether you want a display or no display. But uh, but yep, we we offer them in the pre-calibrated. And you guys make custom custom lengths, right? Yep, exactly. Yep. So um, we'll do you know, you know 10, 11, 12, you know whatever. We can't do half. We don't do half um, length. So we'll just you know if it, if you're like I'm measuring and it needs to be eleven and a half, we would just go to ten. So we we, ha we had a run of uh, bullseye stores where basically they had uh, sixty inch receivers, um, but they had 54 inch, uh, probes. uh, yeah, probes in there. Yep. So every single time it would get down to, you know, 20%, it would read zero. And, and it was just confusing because we just kept kind of calibrate it and it didn't make any sense. And it wasn't until right. we actually measured the, 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 uh, receiver versus, you know, what probe was in there finding out mm -hmm. that, it, you know, six inches smaller than what it needed to be. Right. And one thing that, um, happens, a lot of people, a lot of manufacturers do this. So they'll, they'll put the, the probe's not directly on top. Usually the relief valve is directly in the center on top of the vertical receiver. Um, and they'll put that connection for the probe offset. Well, if you think about the head comes up as it gets closer to the outside of the tank, so they can't make, they can't put a probe at the full length of the, the tank. So you, there is a little bit of uh, math that kind of comes into that, um, that you have to actually have a shorter length. That happens a lot. No, Adam, do, do you guys list these for CO2 also or just uh, standard refrigerant? To be continued on that, Kevin, with CO2. You can use these for subcritical CO2 because um, they're, they're good up to um, 1,000 PSI uh, on the, uh, for the Rotoloth model. Uh, but uh, to be continued on the, uh, the CO2 uh, transcritical versions. So we, we should be good with that on the CO2 receiver then, because, I mean, we're, we're looking max pressure 5, 525. So, I mean, they, that, would, that would be perfect then. Unless so it's a failure. Yeah, failure. That's the, that's the concern <laughs> that everybody gets. That overpressure gets everybody, that makes their buttholes pucker. They're, they're a bit. Yeah, uh, I mean, but there's so, many, there's so many reliefs on there that uh, those are, those are going to go away before that is. Make the push, man. We'll, we'll we'll let it rip. I just know that um, there's a lot of uh, that that would not uh, that would be a hard sell to um, to a lot of people. So, but you we've got the platform now, so let's just make it happen. Yeah, I mean, because uh, we've had a lot of uh, I mean, right now we're using a lot of level switches, and I mean to be honest, like uh, HEB level switches, and I'm. I'm very disappointed with them. I mean, they have a very high failure rate. So I would much rather see like a Hanson probe like this in, in a stand-up receiver than uh, HEB switches. Right. Yeah. Well, and I can tell you that it's, 
it's a big push right now for those. So, um, again, that's, that's the type of stuff that, um, you're going to continue to ask me about this and probably about half the things you're going to ask me for. Um, I'm going to have to say, listen, Kevin, I, I can't, I can't speak any further about this or I'd have to kill you. Um, you're you're just going to keep squeezing me for stuff because we do have a lot of new things in the works. I would say we've probably, um, we'll probably have another 10 new products, um, launched probably between, um, now and, uh, next year. All right. Well, before you start killing Kevin, uh, <laughs> is there anything else you wanted to, you wanted to bring up while we're on here, boss? No, I mean, I think you guys have, uh, you know, really, uh, you know, brought a good thing to this industry and I appreciate the, the opportunity coming on and, uh, chatting a little bit and, um, you know, and hopefully, you know, this adds a lot of value to everybody that's, that was able to watch tonight. So, um, but I appreciate what you guys are doing. It really, it's going to make all of us, um, uh, better and, uh, it's going to make maybe our lives a little bit better, um, across the board. One last question came up real quick. Uh, they sure. were asking if the display was weather tight. Uh, display needs to be, um, there's an RTV that you can, that you can get to, to fill that uh that uh, cavity if you want a watertight enclosure uh unfortunately but um more to come on that it's it's not a good solution i i i hear everybody loud and clear on that but we we can offer a uh like a it's basically like a silicone that you can fill that cavity with all right well listen adam i appreciate you coming on um yep, yep really appreciate it all right, all right guys. guys have a good night see ya What? Over? Did you say over? Nothing is over until we decide it is. Was it over when the Germans bombed Pearl Harbor? Hell no! Germans? Forget it, he's rolling.